Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to episode 76. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, been a, been a great week this week, buddy. How's yours? Good, man. Good. I was up in Oklahoma earlier this week. Had a good time with the students up there. And, um, you know, got to go see the campus in Norman, which I don't think I've ever, ever been up to, uh, up to the campus in Norman. But, uh, anyways, thank the time, all the folks that had me up there this week. Um, so that was fun. And then, um, Got to meet some folks who work on some good, some students who work on some pretty cool technology. I told them, you know, they get it kind of squared away, get them on the podcast. And then, and then also, I think some of the Oklahoma law students are looking to do their own little, um, kind of like a law student, energy law student podcast. So, you know, those guys may be coming on the show here, I don't know, a few months when they kind of get squared away on everything. But a lot of exciting stuff going on there. Um, it's always good to go to a campus where there's a lot of pro-energy folks, you know. <laughs> They're kind of realist about the energy problems we have and, and trying to solve those. So it was a good week, man. Awesome. Yeah. Refreshing, I'm sure, with all the all the stuff in the normal academic setting is uh, so energy. Uh, I'm sure that was a, a breath of fresh air. Right. No, it definitely was. It definitely was. And then, so just a quick reminder, Josh, um, not this week, but next, oh, sorry, next week is the drawing for the iTunes gift mm. card. So if you, I think we have one more review that come in this week, but if you want to get entered in to win, you can need to get that bad boy in there. Um, go ahead and turn that thing in as quick as possible. We do the recording on Fridays, and so I use randomgenerator.com or something like that. So Friday morning when I get up to check the, the reviews next week, whatever whatever's in there is in there. If you've already entered, then you're entered to win, except for Patrick Moreland. We've disqualified him. Um, he's, perma- <laughs> <laughs> he's permanently banned. Uh, I'll get he- you, Patrick. I'll get you in there <laughs> two or three times. <laughs> so uh, beyond that, and then two weeks from today, I'll be down in San Antonio. So if you're in San Antonio, come out to the 20 Holes event, 20holes.com. That's number 20holes.com. I'd love to meet with you while I'm in town for that, I'll have some books and uh, a couple of DVDs. My dad did a Vietnam documentary um, from some veterans back from my hometown in, in Louisiana, so I have some of those, and it should be a good day. Awesome. Well, Ryan, you mentioned that review that came in over the weekend uh, last week, uh, showing it, it posted on September 4th. This is from Eric Newton, WDE. The title of the review was moved to the top podcast rotation and a pretty long review some great stuff in there he wrote this is an informative entertaining podcast where josh and ron dig deeper into and break down the latest news stories offering their and other industry experts take and insights they also highlight upcoming industry events and regularly have on guests to discuss the news and latest happenings within the areas they specialize in sergio chapa is great reporting on Interesting, lesser-known topics taking shape, such as export deals, Gulf Coast petrochemical projects and expansions, and oil and gas activity in South Texas. Makes the long days out here by the wink sink go by faster. Energy access solutions pipeline right away acquisition. Eric, really appreciate the review, man. Glad you uh, enjoyed some of the guests we brought on. And um, maybe, uh, maybe get him on one day, Brian. Yep, maybe get him on one day. Uh, I had someone else he, uh, send me a message on LinkedIn um, about 
you know, coming on and being a contributor. And just so everyone knows, we don't really have a policy on that. But if you are interested in coming on the show, um, you can find me on LinkedIn and send me a message. I'd be happy to discuss that with you. Uh, speaking of Sergio Chapa, he will be sitting in the hot seat when I'm in San Antonio, so looking forward to that. Sergio gets a lot of love on this show, Josh. I feel like the San Antonio Business Journal should sponsor us because, uh, you know, he's getting he gets a lot of love on here. He's got a little fan club. I know it, man. I know it. We start charging him by the hour. Yeah, we start charging him <laughs> to come on. I think so. It should work. So, anyways, but um, but no, it's good and uh, just excited for the next couple of weeks. And the weather's finally cooling down over here, which is which is spectacular. Hmm. Well, Ryan, there's been uh, kind of a, a string of articles that came out this week that are all uh, I think interrelated. Uh, the first one that we want to talk about is one that came out with oil and ga- gas investor. It was uh. It was posted last Friday uh, around the time we did our show, but I think it, it projected kind of the, the articles that we saw come out later this week. And the title of the article is Texas Oil Production Drops in June. What, they're, what they were showing is that uh, from this time last year um, that oil production is down percent uh, compared to June of last year. And, uh, and what, they're, what they're predicting or are saying is because of the pipeline issues that production is going to start slowing down and attention is going to be turned to different aspects uh, in the industry. You know, pipelines being built, trucks and, and rails being used to transport this oil. So um, this production dropping in June is something that we were thinking was going to happen. Um, any any news circulating around uh, how how significant this drop is going to be for the next maybe three to six months, Ryan, or is it just something that we're just kind of waiting to see? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know. I think, you know, just kind of one thing is these numbers, it's interesting because there's numbers that come out weekly and then there's numbers that kind of get adjusted. And so, you know, these articles get kind of confusing because um, sometimes these numbers are adjusted numbers that are changing the data that we had two months ago. And this appears to be what's going on here. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think it's safe to say, Josh, that we probably have plateaued for 2018 on drilling production. You know, that's just a guess, but um, it seems that's kind of where we're at. Um, the other, but, but here's why the article I think really points out. Uh, it says this week WTI in Midland, Texas, traded at more than an $18 a barrel discount to the U.S. benchmark, its lowest since 2014. Back then, local oil prices also sank because there were not enough pipelines to carry away production. And this is, we've, we've kind of hit on this. I know we've got several articles that are going to look at this today. Um, this is the issue. And so kind of from what I've heard from people in the industry um, is that, you know, the beginning of 2019, everyone expects to kind of ramp back up. I think we have a couple, uh, I think we have one article from uh, from Forbes that kind of attributes that as well. But anyways, um, yeah, so it's not, I don't want to say, hey, if you're in the you know upstream business, it's, you know, the end of the world, da, da, da. I don't think that's the case. I just think that it's, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, hey, the pipeline problem, um, companies slowing down. We're starting to see that an eighteen an $18 a barrel discount is significant um, if you're not hedged. If you're hedged, as we talked about then, you know, you're not you're not feeling these price uh, these price fluctuations, which is why it's always interesting to see these companies and their strategies. You know, they hit some hedge out, some don't, some make a lot of money, some make less. But then right now, when you're seeing a discount of um, of your product out the Permian, then it sets you up because you're still getting that good that good premium dollar that you had hedged out for. Uh, following up on that, Ryan, the uh, there was an article that came out with uh, Business Energy at the at the Houston Chronicle, and uh, and the title of the article is with pipelines full, oil and gas companies turning to trucks and rail, um, and it, he just kind of 
goes through some of the some of the numbers. So I think one of the ones that was the most pertinent was uh, he said first crude oil production in the Permian has reached 3.6 million barrels a day, while pipeline capacity out of the region is just 3.5 million barrels per day. So you see there's that, uh, you know, I, I guess that's 100,000 barrels a day that pipelines can't carry. They don't have uh, they don't have the ability to get that out. So there's 100,000 barrels being left over every every day that they've got to figure out a way to get it to the goal or, or wherever they have to tra- transport it to. So rails, trucks, they're, they're, we mentioned ports, uh, they're looking at different ways to try to get this, uh, this oil out. So the, the key thing I think was just kind of getting an idea of what the margins are. Uh, we're talking about a hundred thousand barrels a day. That seems to be something very doable. Though it's going to cost you more money. I think, would you say that had a lot to do with that discount they were getting, being that the transport prices were going to increase, Ryan, or you think it was? You know, you discount the oil because, and so I think like this, everyone everyone has um, oil that they want to get to market, and there's only so much there's only so much capacity. Well, you need to get your oil to market, so you'll, you'll start discounting it um, to get yours to kind of the front of the line is part of what's going on there um because mm. you know then the pipeline capacity company could sell it for uh, they make more money um but the other thing is i think on um on this i was really surprised though josh is that he said that the permian uh has reached 3.6 million barrels a day while pipeline capacity is 3.5 million barrels a day and i i didn't think it was that close because um, at the end of the article, it says relief may be coming in the form of what John Coleman, a senior research analyst at Wood McKenzie, calls three mega pipeline projects, totaling 2.1 million barrels of capacity. The, the Epic we talked about, the Gray Oak Pipeline, I think I mentioned last week, and then the Cactus 2, I don't think we've talked about that one. But anyways, so I, I was kind of surprised if it's only, like you say, 100,000 barrels a day, but you're about to add 2.1 million barrels of capacity. Um yeah, I don't know. I was kind of those those numbers seem to be kind of misleading, unless they're saying um, unless they're saying that the pipeline they're not measuring it by barrel by barrels per day. But I don't I don't know why they would do that. So yeah, I was kind of surprised that they're that they're that they're mm. making the numbers that thin. So I don't know if if it's the way it's written. It's kind of confusing. Go ahead. Do, do you do you think it's possible that the Permian being at three point six barrels a day is where they're at since they've ramped down. Do you think it's possible that they're actually, where were they at like three months ago? That would be the question, like when they were, when they were really firing on all cylinders. So it appears from just kind of putting this together is that the 2.1 million barrels is going to be, um, obviously cover, um, you know, the, 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 the discrepancy now, but it's, they have to have commitments for these big lines, which means that they're going to be expecting, you know, like you're saying that five to mm. you know, 6 million barrels a day production, um, so I, it's just, it's just that I was more surprised at the discrepancy between the production and the pipeline capacity was, I mean, listen, a hundred thousand barrels a day, you know, after, you know, after 10 days, that's a million barrels. Right. So, you know, so I understand that the numbers compound pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking that the gap was a little bit, a little bit wider than that. Um, which means that by the end of next year, when these three big pipelines come on the market, you're going to have a lot of spare capacity, uh, which will incentivize drillers to drill if prices are up. So, And like I just mentioned, they will already have, an, um, a lot of these pipelines will have you know, a certain amount of capacity committed to them. So um, so as long as prices stay up, it's a good thing. It's just that I, I, I was just really taking that, 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 that the margins were that close. 
right now. Yeah, I was I was surprised as well. Well, uh, last one, I think, Ryan. Well, actually, actually, uh, next big job boom in, te- in Texas, oil pipelines. Yep, this is the last article that we have. Um, you know, we, we've been talking about this for some time, and it's all kind of tied in with the oil capacity being where it is. I wonder, I wonder, Ryan, for you know, smaller and medium-sized companies, will we see an uptick in job opportunities? You know, we know there's jobs for people. Uh, Kendra Morgan has that $2 billion deal that we talked about uh, here recently with Apache. There's some big pipelines, Epic Pipeline. There's big companies doing these big pipelines. Do you see um, – I'm just wondering if, if there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of work for small and medium-sized companies that are going to be getting, getting their opportunity with these pipelines. Yeah, so you got to think about pipelines kind of like this. Um, and if you're in the midstream business, you, you'll know. If you're looking at the midstream business, then this will be helpful for you as a vendor, at least. The the articles that we talk about on the show, like the Epic or the, whatever that other one was we just mentioned a minute ago, those big, long lines, those are the lines that usually get reported in the quarterly earnings report. Um, reporters like to write articles about them. Um, those are the lines that the kind of the elite vendors, if you will, compete for because they have, you know, the insurance, the funding, the backing, all this stuff to go after. Um, but you have to have, you know, gathering systems and smaller lines that are going to connect to these bigger lines or, or at least build out a trunk line to get to, to take capacity to these bigger lines. Um, so when you read these headlines, you know, as just from someone from a vendor standpoint, you know, you, you look at it and you say, okay, well, okay, what, what, you know, if you're going to kind of work it backwards here. Okay. So the Epic pipeline, who, who has uh, committed capacity to it? Spare capacity or uh, production capacity rather. Okay. These six companies. Okay. These six companies are going to commit whatever um, the volume is to the Epic pipeline. Well, it has to get from the production uh, from the producer to the Epic pipeline. So there's going to be a gathering system and then a trunk line running out to that. There's going to be a setup to get it from the, you know, from the wellhead to the, to the, to the main line, if you will. Um, and so figuring that out, that's always a key element because then you can go and capitalize on that. So, um, the other thing about pipeline jobs is, is they're a little bit different than, you know, working on a, on a, on a frat crew or whatever is that, you know, you go work on a pipeline project and that project's done. The project's done. You know, it's not like you're working, you know, you're working, uh, 14 on 14 off, you know, you just kind of move it around. But, the th- the positive thing I think about pipelines in the midstream business is is whatever you see reported, there's a lot more that's actually going on. It's just not it's just not interesting. Hey, you know, Bob's putting over uh, forty miles of gathering over here for, you know, uh, Anadarko, and so and so is putting over you know sixty miles of gathering over here. That's just not that's just not the sexy headline. The sexy headline is the eight hundred mile line. So there's a lot of stuff mm. that's actually going on that's not getting talked about just because it's not you know it's just not news and noteworthy. So for me, you look at these big lines, you kind of work it backwards say okay well the commitments are from marathon and you know, apache and you know uh, pioneer or whatever and then you go and you maybe read their corporate earnings or whatever and you figure out who is putting the pipelines in for those guys well then you have all three pieces of the game you got the producer you got the kind of the middleman if you will and then you got the big the big uh long transmission line and you you know now you have three different targets to, to actually go after and um and if you're working for let's just say pioneer if they slow down because of pipeline capacity, then you know that there's going to be more, you know, the midstream companies going to have more pipeline work for them to do. So you kind of kind of balance out what you're working on by following those three components. Well, Ryan, we have a guest about to come on here uh, in just a minute. So uh, we, we'll 
And one article for the Texas Roundup today. Uh, so the Texas Roundup Energy Transfer Magellan Midstream MPLX and DELEC to jointly construct the Permian Gulf Coast, uh, the PGC pipeline for Permian Basin crude oil takeaway. Uh, so this is Dallas and, and Tulsa-based companies. And it's 30-inch in diameter. You look at the size. 600-mile pipeline system is expected to be operational in mid-2020 uh, with multiple Texas origins. So uh, that was uh, a news that broke earlier this week. And I uh, look forward to kind of following that and seeing you know, how that progresses. Right, right. This is Yeah, there you go. So there's, there's kind of that headline. And um, uh, Josh sent that in. Um, from energy transfer um uh, the same guy from last week josh busby anyways um but you know energy transfer they're gonna be building other lines other people be tying in so there's one for you to go and to kind of to kind of track it down i'm looking through the through the pieces we see it here and i don't i didn't i didn't look this before but anyway so you could go and you could actually figure out who is doing what and how it all uh ties in together all right today we have a special guest Coming on the show, Amber Voigthofer, the account executive for Petro Values. Uh, she's coming on the show today. Amber, it's great to have you on. Great, yeah. Thank you for having me, Ryan. Awesome. Well, uh, Amber, you are the account executive at Petro Values, and you all do valuations on mineral rights, oil and gas properties for companies and individuals. So tell us a little bit about your company and uh, some of the services that you provide. Yes, great. So PetroValues is a team of petroleum engineers, geoscientists, petrophysicists, landmen, and computer scientists. Um, there's 18 of us that, that came together to digitize the valuation process uh, for oil and gas properties. So we used geologic and engineering analysis to characterize the reservoir, uh, develop type curves for each of the wells, forecast them, and then apply Evaluation. The services that we provide are for mineral owners, private investors, and financial institutions. So our workflow is faster and more accurate than some of the traditional valuation methods that have been used. Um, typically in the past, uh, mineral owners were able to get valuations uh, from private technical firms like lawyers, engineering firms. These are very costly and take, can take weeks or months to perform. Other ways that they were able to get a value on a property was from buyer offers or nearby sales prices, but there's a high risk in using that data since geologic properties and hydrocarbon potential can change greatly over even half a mile. So since we have streamlined our workflow and used, used our big data technology to put behind our website, we are able to perform these evaluations much quicker and for at a much less, lower cost. So one of the things, Amber, we, we were just talking about on the show was is that WTI out in the Permian is trading a little bit low because of the pipeline um, restrictions in the area. Um, now, we know that there's a lot of pipelines coming at the end of 2019, which should free that up. And I think one of the things when you talk about oil and gas is, is you read these headlines and you're trying to put it all together is that each part of the industry kind of has its own life cycle. Um, so when we're reading headlines today, and I'm a landowner or I'm a corporation who has a bunch of mineral interests, and I'm saying, oh, my goodness gracious, um, you know, the price is falling because of, spare, uh, because of the pipeline restrictions. How does that impact or does it at all impact 
what you're looking at as a landowner who might want to sell their minerals? So there are a lot of things that go into determining the value of, of your minerals or your properties. Uh, some of that does end up being market. But as far as what is actually beneath you, you know, as far as potential, uh, that doesn't change. What, what will impact that is, is oil price, gas price, and the amount that people are willing to pay for it. But what we provide is similar to what you would, you would see uh, a home appraisal. So you appraise the property, you get a value for it, and then you can use that in your negotiations. And this is kind of a follow-up on that. One of the things we see right now is, uh, I'm just curious if you guys dabble in this, is water. You know, water is a big commodity. Are y'all dealing, do you represent people? Because we have some listeners that are always hit me up saying, hey, I need to figure out how to sell my water. Um, are y'all valuing that for landowners? So we do not value uh, what your water is worth. Um, on our website, on the map, the interactive map that we've created, we pull in a lot of the public data that is available in the area. Uh, so you're able to see production data, you're able to see well information data. Um, in some cases, we, there may be water data available. Uh, right now, that's not something that we're, we're focused on. Okay. Um, now I got a blog that you put up here back in, I guess it was, uh, yeah, July of this year, five tips for mineral owners. And these are very basic things, but I think there's some things that I'm glad you kind of got to post it like this because there's a lot of misconceptions about ownership and how it works. And that's kind of your first thing that you put out there is understand your ownership. What advice, I, I know you say read and reread, but when you talk about reading and rereading um, to understand your, your, um, what actual ownership you have of your, your minerals, what are some of the tips, some of the language, some of the things that people, maybe they overlook and they go, you know what, I didn't read for this, or I didn't look for this. What, what do you, what, what do you see when it comes to that? So we see a lot of times uh, mineral owners will have have properties passed down to them through inheritance, and they don't they don't spend a whole lot of time looking at it or getting a second opinion until they they need to do something with it until they're presented with an offer or they or they want to sell. Um, so our advice there is, you know, you either read it, you have a second second an independent party reread any of the contracts, but also but work with with experienced professionals in the area. So my advice would be to call us to, to, to look at what you have and evaluate how much that that is, that is going to be to you. And now you guys, real quick, just, I think you're up out of Colorado. Where all do you read or evaluate um, uh, minerals across the U.S.? So our goal is to have this available all U.S. onshore basins. But right now we have the Bakken in North Dakota, we have the DJ in Colorado, and the Powder River Basin in Wyoming. We're actively working on Texas, uh, specifically the Permian, and New Mexico right now. Um, and we will be working on the, the subsequent basins in the future. But those are our primary areas of focus. Yeah, you mentioned the, the Powder River in 
Prada River and then the Balkan. I'm curious, one of the things we've kind of speculated on the show before is that for some people, from a business standpoint, working somewhere like the Prada River, where it's less competitive, um, is a strategic advantage over the Balkan or the Permian just because of the amount of work going on there. From someone who might have acreage, um, they're looking to sell their acreage, You know, how do you advise someone on that? You say, you know what, maybe you're on the outskirts of the Permian or you're in the Eagleford versus the Permian or um, you know the Powder River versus the Permian. How do you guys sit down and walk walks a, a, a landowner, a mineral rights owner, through this process of, of how the market's working in these different areas? So when we're working with a mineral owner, we we don't set up comparisons to, to different basins. What we what we try to do is give them a very unbiased technical evaluation of what they're sitting on. Mm-hmm and what they could use or, or and give them something that they could use to negotiate with operators that are active in that area. So this is different than traditionally people have been looking at nearby sales prices and okay, well this is the market and we're going to we're going to just start here. Um when you give the mineral owners the the empowering them to know what their minerals are worth based on you know how much is actually underneath the ground there and what the potential production potential is, they can then decide whether the market is good or not so good right now to lease or sell them mm. based on the offers that they're getting. And we, can, we also partner with mineral owners to work through these negotiations with, with them and, and companies to get them a better offer on their minerals. Okay. Petrovalves.com is the website. Final question for you here. Um, just throw out a hypothetical. I'm curious your take on this. You have some acreage and landowner X and your acreage is good quality acreage. Um, you know, around you, let's just make up a name pioneer. Let's just say pioneer has been buying up the acreage, but Chesapeake has come to offer you. Um, how do you guys handle that when you're in a, uh, a, a, a bidding war, if you will? Because um, I, being in the industry, I've seen it where people have kind of, they tried to play that bidding war out and, and it's worked out for them. People have, have, have used the bidding war and, and, and then the market fail. How do you advise someone, uh, you know, just 30,000 foot view uh, when you have maybe two companies that are, that are competing for their interest? Well, there's always a level of risk when when you're uh, you know playing that hand. You know, it's, it's kind of like a poker game. Um, but if you know what you're what you're truly standing on, so if you have an accurate valuation, you're not just relying on a buyer offer. Um, then you know where to start at. So, so for instance, if you have you know you said Chesapeake and, and Pioneer, if if they're offering you you know, X dollars between each other. Uh, but you don't know if that's, if that's a good offer or a bad offer based on what's below you, then you're going to take whichever one obviously is higher. But if you had a technical valuation behind you and that valuation is telling you it should be even higher than that, then you can have, you can use that to push back and, and say, you know what, actually my minerals are worth more than this. And this is why here's, here's our technical analysis. Here's the forecast that for each well or each property and use that to push back and get them to actually both come up or one of them come up and you can actually get more um, if you have something to stand on. Okay, petrovalues.com is the website. Amber, is there anywhere you'd like for people to go besides there or ways to connect with you if they have more questions? 
We would like anyone that is interested in getting the mineral valuation to call us at 855-86-PETRO, or they can follow us on social media, connect with us that way, um, or, or go to our website, and we have some met ways to contact us there also. Good stuff. PetroValues.com also is the website. We'll put the phone number in the show notes as well. Amber, and uh, the, sh- the phone number again is 855-867-3876. Amber, thank you so much for coming on today. We really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Amber uh, Voidhofer from ProValues. She's the account executive. We really appreciate her and taking time out of her day to come on and give us a little information about her company. Yeah, and hey, Josh, uh, real quick, you, you got it right. I got it wrong one time. It's PetroValues, P-E-T-R-O-V-A-L-U-E-S.com. Not valves. I'm an idiot. I cannot read. PetroValves. It's not PetroValves. It's PetroValues.com, just to clarify that. Awesome. And, Ryan, you know, I checked the rig count earlier this and it was up to 1,153. That is from Drilling Info. 1,153, it was up 1%. So about a 10, 10 increase in rig, rig count. Good deal, man. Good deal. All right, well, get your rating and review into iTunes. We'll be drawing next week. Um, two weeks from now, I'll be down in San Antonio for the 20 holes event. That's number 20. Dot, uh, the number 20 holes.com, 20holes.com be down there in san antonio excited about that sergio Chapa in the hot seat josh until next time keep climbing